Well, good morning. If you're new here, uh, my name is Barry Pett, and I have the privilege of serving as the care and discipleship pastor here at Redeemer. And uh, today, I have the privilege of speaking to you from the Word of God. So, uh, so this week is kind of unique in that most years, uh, Advent begins the week following Thanksgiving. But this year, we have a bonus week kind of mixed in there. So, so today is kind of a, a, a pre-Advent message of sorts. So as I, uh, about a week ago, I was talking to my friend Rod Burkaw, and, uh, and I mentioned to him that I was, that, that I was preaching today. And, you know, being the, kind of being the wise sage that he is, um, his advice was, he said to me, he said, hey, he said, Barry, fight for clarity. He says, I want you to just make sure you determine the one takeaway that you want people to come away with and then commit to it with laser focus. I said, well, okay, thank you for that, Rod. And so to, so to honor my, uh, my elder brother, uh, I, I will give you my, my takeaway right up front and, um, and you can judge my laser focus later. So here's my, uh, here, here's my thesis. Christian community as designed by God happens when the line between givers and receivers becomes indistinguishable. And this only happens to the degree that we as a community Commit to embracing lives marked by humility, authenticity, and vulnerability. Now, that may scare you a little bit, but uh, you can't walk out now or everybody will know why you're leaving, right? Um, let me, let, let's pray. Um, take just a moment. Quiet your heart. And God, we would, and, and pray that God would just fill this room with his presence. Um, that, that, that he would increase and I would decrease. Pray for yourselves that God would, would uh, open your heart give you receptive ears and that he would indeed open your eyes that you might behold wondrous things from his word today. And finally, pray for me. Pray that God would, would, would work through me and that I would become invisible. He, he, would, he alone would be glorified and um, his words would ring true. Father, we come to you today in humble worship as we even begin to prepare for, for Advent season, one of the greatest seasons of the year where we celebrate um, your great gift to us. God, would you prepare our hearts even now that we would hear your words um, as spoken through your word. Give us ears to hear. And we pray this in your name, amen. So I'm calling this message, the season of receiving. Um, so to draw attention to, I think is an element of Advent season that our, that our lives uh, and I think most of us are particularly not good at. 
I, have, I think I've come to believe that we have misconstrued Acts 20, 35 that says, in every way, Paul's saying this to the church, he says, in every way I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. As I observe our lives, I, I think instead of viewing giving and receiving as a good, better comparison than it is, that we tend to functionally view it far more as a good, bad comparison. We all find great joy and pride in, in, in giving to others. And conversely, most of us feel a little squirmy when receiving gifts, help, or attention, right? We tend to associate giving with, with, with virtue and character and generosity. And then we tend to be very uncomfortable with receiving and we, and we strive to avoid it at almost all costs. Being a recipient is often felt like a sign of weakness or even failure or being in one's debt. And yet I would contend that Advent is far more about receiving than it is giving, at least on our part. I mean, yes, Christmas is about the greatest gift that was, that was, that was ever given. But as the great carol proclaims, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. You see, Christmas is only joyful for those who are willing to be humble and grateful and be recipients of the great gift of salvation. The mutuality of giving and receiving flows out of this humility and gratitude. It's why I chose this familiar text in Acts 2 because it may be one of the most vivid illustrations of what giving and receiving within Christian community should actually look like. We read the passage begins with Peter's plea in verse 38 that says, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, the impact of receiving the gift of forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit in the Acts 2 church was that they instinctively began to mutually share their homes, their possessions, their money, their food, their time, and their lives. I recently saw a beautiful example of this blurring of giver and receiver played out in kind of an unlikely place. For the last several years, I've had, the, I've had the privilege of being involved in the Kairos prison ministry at the Jester unit down in Rosenberg. For those of you who are not familiar, Kairos is a, uh, is a weekend that's made up of 42 inmates divided into seven table families consisting of six inmates and three outside volunteers at each table. And at the most recent weekend this past month, I had the privilege of serving at the same table as a, as a remarkable volunteer named Lynn. And what made Lynn so amazing was that he's dealing with terminal brain cancer. The cancer and the treatments have made it to where he is in perpetual pain. Walking and speaking is very difficult and he has almost no use of his arms. As I watched this, nothing was easy for Lynn. 
And yet he was willing to push through all of the pain and all of the challenges that he faced so that he could serve and share Jesus with his brothers in white. And here's the thing. The beautiful thing I began to observe um, as the weekend unfolded was that the inmates became acutely aware of the great sacrifice that Lynn was making for them. And they, in turn, began to serve and care for Lynn like a mother hen. I mean, the beautiful thing was that, that, that Lynn let him. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't push him away. He didn't feel shame in his weakness. And he didn't try to cling to whatever shreds of independence he had left. He actually seemed to kind of enjoy allowing the men to care for him. And as I watched this, it dawned on me that this is what Christian community is supposed to look like where the lines between giver and receiver become almost indistinguishable. You see, Lynn had a brilliant mind. He had worked as a corporate attorney. He was a law school professor. Lynn was mature in his faith. So Lynn was giving from his mental and spiritual strength to men who many were as weak spiritually as he was physically. And they in turn served him in his weakness from their physical strength a law professor and convicted felons mutually loving and serving one another from their strengths and being served by each other in their weakness. It was beautiful to watch. At that moment, I thought, you know, this, this is what the Acts 2 church looked like. Where all the believers were together and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions, their property, and they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. This describes the church as God designed it. All of us have things to offer, and all of us have needs that others can meet. But sadly, this is not nearly as descriptive of Christian community today as I think it should be. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that we have bought into the lie that receiving from others is a sign of weakness that should be avoided if at all possible. It makes me think of, a, of another situation just recently involving a person at our church. I did get permission to share this story, um, but I won't use her name even though she said that I could. Um, she's one of the more, we'll say, more mature single ladies in our church. And she came to me one day and she said that she was doing some, some work on her backyard and she asked what I thought was the most efficient way to get several yards of sand that she was having delivered moved to her backyard. So without a beat, I said, well, reach out to your life group and have them help you. Um, and she just kind of chuckled like, silly man. Uh, she said, that's not what I meant. And I said, I know, but my answer's still the same. Well, Fast forward a couple of weeks and she accidentally let it slip that she had in fact done the sand project on her own, which earned her a pastoral stink eye um, and, and a scolding. And I asked her, I said, why didn't you let your life group bless you by helping her, by helping you? And her immediate reply, kind of sheepishly in the form of a question was, because I have a proud and sinful heart? <laughs> I didn't argue with her. Um, 
And the fact is, we all have proud and sinful hearts that avoid accepting love and care that we would gladly offer to others. I'm not just talking about physical or financial assistance also. You see, this church, like all others, is filled with hurting people who are wrestling with fear, anxiety, loneliness, stress, grief. Our marriages and our families are struggling. We're addicted to food, to pleasure, to work, to substances, to sex, to porn, just to name a few. But yet, instead of reaching out for help, we tend to say things like, well, you know, I don't want to bother anybody. Um, I know people are busy. So we hide our junk and we try to manage it as best we can for as long as we can. And when people ask how we're doing, we paste on our best smile and, and we say, fine. And then, we, and then we go on to complete the awkward greeting dance by asking how they're doing, which of course is fine also. And then we go on about our managing and our hiding until like a cyst that finally bursts, we get caught, we have a breakdown, we get fired, overdose, or file for divorce. And then we ask for help. And that leads to the question of why? Why do we hide and cover and avoid reaching out for help at all costs? What keeps us as modern day followers of Christ from looking more like the Acts 2 church? And I think the answer is found in two words, pride and shame. It's the two things that we are all covered with, but we desperately try to pretend that we aren't. I suspect that if pride were tar and shame were feathers, we would all look like Big Bird. <laughs> pride and shame are, are, are really the two, so two sides of the same coin. Pride is that voice that sets the bar of expiation, expectation beyond reach. And it tells us that we have to convince ourselves and others that this is who we really are. And unfortunately, I think social media has been one of the best gifts ever for helping us convince ourselves and others of this alternate reality as we carefully post our highly curated lives. And meanwhile, shame is the dark underbelly reminding us of our fraud and driving us to hide and cover even more out of fear of what people would say and think if they knew the real us. So, we isolate ourselves even more. And the stress and the pain and the anxiety continue to grow. And then we do the only thing our isolation allows. We try to numb and medicate the pain away. And the result, we are by far the most medicated, in debt, obese, overstimulated, and addicted people in human history. And sadly, these issues are as prevalent in the church as they are outside. In some ways, it's even worse in the church because the expectations of perfection are even higher here, driving us to, to pride and shame even more. It's no wonder the culture kind of looks down at us as a bunch of hypocrites. We are. 
All right, enough of the bad news. <laughs> What's the solution? How do we step out of this mess? And as Peter says in our text, be saved from this corrupt generation. And how do we begin to look more like the Acts 2 church and be a beacon of hope in what is an ever-darkening world? One word, humility. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. James 4.6 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble you see, humility is at the very heart of the Christmas season as we celebrate the unfathomable humility of God in Christ who did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man, in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. It's not a coincidence that Jesus was born outdoors in a stable with a feeding trough as his crib. Everything about his birth and his life modeled humility. And he did it so that we could step out of the prison of pride and shame by humbly acknowledging our broken condition and our desperate need of a savior. Christ modeled humility in everything he did because to be the recipient of the great gift of salvation requires humility. To repent is to humble ourselves and to admit that we are broken and unable to fix ourselves. It's no coincidence the very first words of Jesus' greatest sermon were, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because the fact is, we're all spiritually bankrupt. The gift of salvation is for those willing to humble themselves and accept God's loving rescue from our sin and our self-righteousness. But here, unfortunately, is, is the point where I think the path divides between the modern church and the Acts 2 church. I mean, look again at what their lives immediately began to look like after they accepted Peter's message to repent and be baptized. Starting in 40, verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. You see, unlike us today, instead of trying to keep up with the unrealistic, photoshopped version of do-it-yourself Christianity, they embraced a humble, authentic sacrificial community. They held all things in common. 
meaning that they shared their possessions. They shared their property, their homes, their time. They shared their food. And it says that they worshiped together daily. They hung out in each other's houses and ate together daily. And as we read, they did it with joyful and sincere hearts. So here's the thing. If we are ever going to become the light of the world kind of people that we are called to be, we're going to have to abandon our Americanized, independent, do-it-yourself, by-yourself mentality. And we've got to start looking more like an Acts 2 kind of church. And just to be clear, I'm not proposing that we all quit our jobs and sell our homes and, and move into a compound in Waco. Sorry, Waco. <clears throat> But, but, but we do need to start having the courage to remove our curated masks and start living more authentic, interconnected lives. In my study and, and research for this message, I ran across the TED Talk by a, by a social worker and researcher by, by the name of Dr. Brene Brown. And, and her talks, the two talks were, were entitled The Power of Vulnerability, and then there was a follow-up talk called Listening to Shame. Now, I, I don't know if she's a Christian, and these talks were not overtly spiritual, but they were spiritual truths. And by, ironically, as I looked at it a little bit, they're two of the most watched TED Talks of all time. And in these talks, she discussed the connection between shame and vulnerability. Now, I know if there, if there is a word that we hate worse than shame, it's vulnerability, right? Um, probably because we naturally associate vulnerability with weakness. And thus, vulnerability would be to shame what gasoline is to fire. But, but Dr. Brown rightly points out that vulnerability is actually the opposite of weakness. She says, vulnerability, letting ourselves be seen, and to be honest, is the most accurate measurement of courage. She's right. When done in the right environment, vulnerability becomes the antidote to shame, not the accelerant. She went on to say, if you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three things to grow exponentially. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. But if you put the same amount of shame in a Petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. And the fact is, the only way to experience empathy from others is through vulnerability. I can tell you that the last year and a half has been um, probably one of the most transformative seasons of my life. And it's solely because I've begun to practice some of these principles in ways I haven't before. I weekly stand before a group of people from within this, from within this body and our regeneration group, and I say, my name is Barry. I have a new life in Christ, and I'm recovering from people-pleasing, food idolatry, codependency, and guilt and shame. Now, I am well aware that conventional wisdom would call that career suicide for a pastor. If not within region, then for sure by acknowledging it to all of you like I just did. But you see, here's the thing. Our church doesn't need a perfect 
pastor or perfect pastors. They need real pastors who are willing to lead with courage and vulnerability. And you know what others and I have experienced by having the courage to be vulnerable? Healing, freedom, community, love, empathy, and acceptance. You see, contrary to, popular belief, contrary to popular belief, as we step out of the shadows of shame into the light of vulnerability, what we find is we love and respect each other more, not less. And we get a front row seat to watching God radically change our lives for the better. And we're starting to experience real glimpses of Acts 2 kind of community. Now, my purpose in saying this is not just to give a commercial for Regen, but it's to give us a, a hope that Christian community marked by honesty, vulnerability, and authenticity is attainable if we will just dare to take off our masks and we begin to let others see the real us. And it's here that the lines between giver and receiver start to get really blurry. So what do we do with all this? Well, let's go back to my original thesis for a second. Christian community, as designed by God, happens when the line between givers and receivers becomes indistinguishable. And this only happens to the degree that we as a community commit to embrace lives marked by humility, authenticity, and vulnerability. Now, first, I think it's important to note that what I'm about to propose is an invitation. It's not a pastoral edict. I know that there are many in this room right now who are suffering alone in the shadows of pride and shame and wishing that there was a way out, but no idea how to get there. So let me offer a few options. First, I'm kind of a no time like the present kind of guy. So if you identify with what I've said this morning, then my first encouragement is when we invite you to pray with one of our prayer leaders or elders in a few minutes, take advantage of it. I guarantee you, if we have more people wanting to pray than, than we have prayer leaders, I am no doubt that, that other leaders and members will be glad to step back there and pray with you. How beautiful would it be to see the entire perimeter of this room filled with people praying here in a minute? Secondly, some of you need to be here tomorrow night at 6.30 when regeneration meets. I mean, I know the common thought is that, you know, hey, regen is for people with real problems. But guess what? We all have real problems. If everyone with real problems attended, I guarantee you we would have to move from the large group room into the auditorium and would probably have to start offering on more than one night because we all couldn't fit in here at one time. I regularly say that the healthiest people in the church gather on Monday nights because they're the ones that have the courage to overcome shame and walk into the light of a loving, authentic community of people pointing each other to Jesus as our source of healing. But I understand, maybe regen is too much right now. 
Maybe your next step is to have the courage to be honest with your life group or at least one or two people within your group about what's really going on in your lives. Imagine what our life groups would look like if our prayer time were maybe just a little bit less about the health concerns of people outside the group and a little bit more about the issues going on with the people inside the group. Sorry, I'm poking now, aren't I? And if maybe the thought of being transparent in front of a group frightens you, maybe you need to go to the Care and Discipleship link on our website and request to meet one-on-one -on -one with, with a Care and Discipleship team member. This is a group comprised of dedicated and caring people. They meet monthly and regularly to study and train just to come alongside people in the struggles of life. Utilize them. And of course, any of the six pastors would welcome the opportunity to meet with you if asked. You see, your options are many. But ultimately, you, you have to decide to stop listening to the voice in your head telling you not to trust anybody. You can fix it yourselves. People won't understand. People will just, people will just judge you. You see, the reality is when you take the step of courage and walk out of the shadow of guilt and shame, what you will likely find is that the only voice judging and condemning you is yours. So as I close, I want to point out one more thing, and that is the impact that we would have if we became a community that lived authentically with each other. Look again at verse 36 and 37 of our text. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and get to, here's, listen to this, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Redeemer, we as a church are called to be the light of the world, a city set on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. And I fully believe that if we were to become a church family known in this community as a people who live generously with each other in humility and authenticity and vulnerability, just like in Acts 2, people would flock here. This kind of life kind of reminds me of the, there's, there's an ancient Japanese art form known as kintsugi. Uh, and kintsugi involves repairing, taking broken pottery and mending the areas of breakage with a unique type of, type of lacquer that's mixed with powdered gold, silver, or platinum. But here's what's kind of cool about, about, about this art form, kintsugi. It says the philosophy behind Katsugi is that it treats breakage and repair as part of the history of an object rather than something to disguise. Wow. And the result is that by exposing the breakage rather than hiding it, the plate or the pottery becomes more beautiful, not less. Our... Uh, our Japanese missionary, Jessica Gann, before she went back to, to, uh, 
Japan earlier this year, she gave Carol and I this, this beautiful kintsugi plate that she created. Now you can see, you see I, have it on, I took some pictures and put it on, the, you've seen it on the screen also. Um, but you can see that the lines of, break, of breakage throughout this thing indeed make the plate more beautiful, not less. Before this was just a plate. Now it's a work of art. And you see, here's the thing. We all want to pretend that we aren't broken. And, and we put this kind of a, a, we take our broken pieces and we put a, a picture of a perfectly perfect plate out in front of it to convince people that we're, we're something else. We try to sell it. We try to hide and lie and fake as if people don't know. But you see, when we dare to acknowledge our brokenness, you know what happens? We give others the gift of being that gold lacquer that God uses to begin to piece our lives back together. And they become part of our story. And then we in turn give them a safe place to begin to acknowledge their brokenness so that God can use us as healing agents for them. And it is here that the lines between giver and receiver become beautifully indistinguishable. I think this is the idea of, of what the Apostle Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 1, where in verses four and five he says, he comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Church, our community is filled with hurting and broken people who I fully believe yearn for a community like this. But just like the church in Acts 2 we have to be willing to model it among ourselves first. And as one of your pastors, my prayer is that maybe, maybe today might be a beginning of a step in that direction. Amen? Let me pray. Oh, Father. God, we come to you today and God, first, would we we repent of our pride, our arrogance, our pretending that we don't need you, we don't need others, and we hide in our, in our own pride and sin. And God, you are calling us out. This is not the church you designed us to be. You created us to be a place of healing and hope, of interconnectedness, of love and acceptance and vulnerability. God, forgive us where we have failed to portray that beauty to a watching world. God, I pray for those here there may be those today who hear this message and are like, I need that. I am exhausted from trying to pretend that I'm better than I am, that I'm, I, I, to hide my brokenness out of fear of shame and judgment. 
God, today would we hear your call to, to walk into light. Darkness is dispelled when, when, when we come into light. God, would you give people here the courage today maybe to, maybe to step out in prayer in just a minute for the first time to take a step and say, help, I need prayer. Some maybe need the courage to come tomorrow night and begin a journey of, of honest healing. God, would you make our life groups a place of, of a safe place where people can be real about who we really are and knowing that this is a group of people who will love us more, who will accept us, who will pray for us, who will help us, who will come alongside of us. God, make us this kind of people. And only you can change our hearts to begin to do this, to step out of our pride and our shame and begin to live these kinds of authentic, interconnected lives. So Father, we humbly ask you, do your work work on our hearts break the break the bonds of shame and allow us to walk in the freedom of your light that you have that you have made for us it's in your name we pray amen